the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 76 that even the wrath of man will ultimately praise God. Well, welcome to Exploring the Word. Alex McFarland, Bert Harper, so glad you're listening. This is the program where we get into the Scriptures. We get into the Word of God, and we do our best to verse-by-verse teach the Bible. Then we take your questions, and later on in the show, we'll open up the phones. We'd love to hear from you. But, Bert, I wanted to point out something in John chapter 19. When Pilate led Jesus out... And in front of the crowds, the accusing crowds, and Pilate cries out, Behold the man. This is in John 19, verse 5. Now, I, I brought up that Psalm 76, 10, where it says, Even the wrath of man will praise God. See, Pilate didn't know it. Even the accusing leaders and those wanting to condemn him, they might not have realized it, but they were speaking truth about Jesus. They said, He's the King of the Jews. Um, you called yourself to be the Son of God. Yes, he is. Well, when Pilate cries out to the crowds, take a look at Jesus. Behold the man. You know, to this day, Bert, we're saying to the world, behold the man, the only man ever that rose from the dead. The man, Christ Jesus. And what a story it is, Alex. We just got through with Christmas celebrating the birth of Jesus, the, the incarnation, And just because we were in the book of John, and we're kind of going slow through the book of John, that's about the only way you can go through the book of John, to be be honest. You know, it's just so filled. But here we go immediately to the cross, and and the, the crucifixion, the resurrection. What a combination that is. This is the crux of the matter. Behold the man that came born of a virgin, conceived of the Holy Spirit, lived a perfect life, came and ministered among us, not to be served, but to serve, would be tried, crucified, buried, and rose again. Alex, behold this man. There's no one like him, never has been before him, never will be after him. He is the one and only. So I agree with you when Pilate was saying, behold the man, Uh, What a statement of faith that is. And again, we're in chapter 19, and notice he's trying to bargain. Listen, Pilate is trying to bargain with the chief priest, the scribes, the Jews, by saying, okay, I find no fault in him. Well, I'm going to scourge him. I'm going to beat him, and I'm going to bring him. Isn't that enough? No, that's not enough. Won't that satisfy you? I'll I'll have him scourged and— You know, will warn him sternly not to preach anymore. And but see, they would not be placated. They wanted him executed. But hey, you know, Bert, I got to say this: in the middle of exploring the word, there's a lot of sermons. I'm thinking up sermons I would love to preach. <laughs> behold the man. You know, behold his prophesied coming. Behold his eternal existence. Behold his virgin birth and sinless life, miraculous deeds. Behold the way he demonstrated his deity. Behold his compassion that he would be nailed to a cross. And as Adrian Rogers said, that on a skull-shaped hill outside of Jerusalem, man murdered his maker. Behold his love and behold his power over death. And, uh, you know, folks, it's exploring the word, but I have an idea that Bert and I both we, in the context of the show, think up a few sermon outlines probably, don't we? <laughs> it is, and again and again, in the book of John, I, I've got my sermons outlined. And I, I outline, I'm an outline guy. I don't preach it, you know, continual. It's just an outline. I've got all 66 books, and I've got outlines in each one. Can I tell you which one is has the most outlines in it in the book of John? It is oh, thick. It is beyond that. And again, yes, these are sermons, and it says, And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. Now let's talk about that crown of thorns. Alex, mm. I'm going to ask you a question, Got another, and I think it will be another sermon. Why do we have thorns in the first place? Where, were they in the garden mm. pleasantly 
uh, there, or did they come about because of something that took place in the garden? Thorns and thistles? Well, you know, that's part of the curse. It is. And uh, here that, it that is. That's part yeah. of the curse. Isn't that something and, that put that on his head? You know? Well, I know because he was in the process of removing the curse, wasn't he? He was. Isn't that something that the punishment for sin, and remember Adam and Eve, this is in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sinned and fell, and guilt and separation from God was interjected into reality, and we are feeling it to this day, right? But to pay for our sins, the the wrath of God was poured on Jesus. But, Bert, you're so right. Uh, on the head of Christ was put the crown of thorns because he suffered and he himself, the Bible says he bore our sins in his own body. He's removing the curse, isn't he? He is. And they said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. There it is again. They're mocking, but in their mocking, they are speaking truth. And Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I'm bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Now, isn't yeah. this the second time he says that? I find it, nothing it worthy. And, you know, he and, was examining. Now, he wasn't trying to be fair. Let me be honest about that. He was trying to find something against him, and he could not, Alex. Well, and let me say this, fascinating stuff, because language is so important and words carry such meaning. But uh, have you ever heard the, the, the word ought? Uh, like, I've got, I've got an ought against you. Yes, you right. know that? Yeah. A, a grievance or a cause or an accusation. And that's the Greek word here. The, the Greek word, when Pilate, John 19.4, Pilate says, um, everybody take a look, and again, I find no fault in him. And, and it's the word ought or cause, or accusation. You know, I get it, you're, you're wanting him dead, but uh, I really don't find a legitimate reason for that. There's no ought against him. And the songwriters have said he's altogether lovely, you know, name above all names, what a lovely name is Jesus. You know, Bert, in 2,000 years, nobody has legitimately brought ought against Jesus, have they? At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Even Pilate, even those chief priests, Alex, there's nothing wrong in him. You cannot find aught against him. And again, we find out this verse that you introduced, Behold the man. Notice what it says before that. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Now, in our court system, uh, you don't bring a man into the court. Uh, they, they try to put him in. Now, they, in the pre-court, they will, but in the trial uh, where they're looking at their trial and the evidence and the jury must make a, make a call on it, they don't bring them out in their prison garb. They don't bring them out in the handcuffs. They don't bring it up so they won't have an already preconceived idea that this man or this woman is guilty. But here, here it is, the crown of thorns, the purple robe. They're doing everything that they can to make this accusation and make it stick and says, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priest and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. Again, he says it again. But Alex, I, I want to make this, I, I said it yesterday. The ringleaders are the chief priest. Uh, yeah. The people that are there, uh, that may have some of them been there on the day that he came in and playing, singing Hosanna. Uh, I, I, I look at it, there was some, but it was a, it, in some sense, it was a different crowd because you did not have the chief priest out there singing Hosanna, praise to the Lord. They were looking right. on with contempt. And here are people that are being, and I'm saying this, and if you disagree, let me know. The, the, the people that are there are being led by these, quote, religious leaders into fanatical statement about crucify him because they did not have what it meant to stand for him. And have you ever heard, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything? Yes, uh, and, absolutely. And I think the, the common people, those that were there, many of them were in that category. 
That's yeah. my that's my thought. You may disagree. Well, I, I'm I'm with you. You know, to Jesus they had contempt, but uh, from the people they had envy because you know the people when they were on Palm Sunday crying out Hosanna, Hosanna, you know, it said that they were jealous, they were envious. And Bert, in our own time, you know, you were saying how it was the religious leaders that really pushed this to this point. Um, you know, in our own time. Listen, I respect higher education, and I've spent a fair amount of my adult life teaching in various schools, but I want to say a part of what's wrong with our denominations and churches have been liberal seminaries and uh, liberal public education, and uh, how the classroom got to be liberal and how real it goes back 250 years, and I'm not going to recount the journey right now from German liberalism to Charles Darwin, evolution, relativism of the early 20th century. At one time you heard the phrase postmodernism, which is really to deny that there is absolute truth, and now we're living in the time of woke. But Bert, you know the old saying, there's nothing new under the sun. See, to acknowledge Jesus takes humility. To, to acknowledge that the Bible is the infallible, inerrant Word of God, which it is, takes humility. Because you've got to say, you know, God knows some things I don't know. Yeah. And, and God is Lord, not me. And my job is not to try to call the shots, but to humble myself and repent. And, you know, there's just... There's a certain arrogance, and again, I respect achievement, I respect education, but there's a certain arrogance that goes with learning that sometimes causes people not only to themselves turn away, but to mislead others. It is so true, Alex, and again, these are false teachers. You don't just find false teachers in, in uh, I would say, seminaries or Bible colleges or pulpits. You find them in public education. They're false teachers. They're teaching the untruths that are not there. And and so here we find that these religious leaders being zealous, I, I think they're more zealous for their own power and position. Fear is one of the things, and, and you was talking about envy, but fear of losing what they had. And so a lot of times fear is one of the dominant things that causes people to go astray. Fear of, of being counted uh, in, in a certain section of group of people. You don't want to be one of those fanatical Christians. Uh, I've heard fanatic is somebody that loves Jesus a little bit more than you do, you know? <laughs> so uh, I, I, I want to be fanatical for the Lord Jesus. We're going to be back with more of John chapter 19 on Exploring the Word right after this break. This is Pause to Pray, a chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Eric Holcomb, governor of Indiana. He is the state's 51st governor, and in 2020, he received the most votes for governor in Indiana history. 1 Timothy 3.2 reminds us of the qualities of a good leader. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Right now with this in mind, let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask for guidance for Governor Eric Holcomb as he governs the state of Indiana. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. The Bible tells us Satan's fighting a war that he can't possibly win. Dr. Tony Evans says that raises a question. Why does he keep trying? We'll find out today as we spend two minutes with Tony. Satan has an agenda. That agenda is to bring the world under his control and make Christians ineffective in bringing others out of the war-torn zone to make us ineffective in leading others to victory rather than defeat. First of all, he attacks your individual life. First Peter 5, 8 says, Satan like a roaring lion on the prowl is seeking whom he may devour. To put it bluntly, he's after you. And no matter who you are, what your status is, he wants to overthrow you. And when you look closely at Christians today, you find many Christians who are in the POW camps of hell. He has overthrown them in the area of drugs and they are held hostage. 
He's overthrown them in the area of alcohol, and they are held hostage. He's overthrown them in the area of discouragement and depression, and they are prisoners of war. He's overthrown them in this area or that area, and you can call it what you like. There are many names for it, but in the spiritual realm, in the spiritual conflict realm, they become prisoners of war. And so Satan wants to destroy your family, not only because he wants you, but because he wants the next generation. And the tragedy is that Christians today are still fighting flesh and blood rather than principalities and powers and world forces that are devastating. Stop being a victim of the spiritual battle going on around you. Check out Tony's book, Warfare, and look at how to break the bonds Satan uses to keep us down. Get details online at TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. This is Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Everybody here looking for the Bible in our own hearts and across the land. Everybody looking for the Bible. Lift up your voice and say amen. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. Bertie and Alex with you. And with that bumper music, it reminds me it's the first of the year. Alex McFarlane is a traveling evangelist. Not only does he do Exploring the Word and Truth for a New Generation, he goes to churches and preaches, revivals and conferences. And so, Alex, uh, in 2023, I know you got a busy schedule. Do you have any openings where people could get online and go to Alex? It's alexmcfarlane.com, isn't it? And look at you your are calendar. You're so kind to bring that up. Yeah. Yes. If listen, I w- I would love to come and preach and teach, do a revival. Most of all, what I would love to do is talk to your teenagers about biblical worldview and just trying to help your kids not go woke once they graduate high school or even before. But yes, my website is alexmcfarland.com. Now, there's a lot I could tell you about. I've even got, uh, I'm going to be at a camp later this month. But April 21 through 23, folks. Now, I know. Here in the cold of January, you're probably not thinking about April yet, but Paris, Tennessee, our dear friends at Tennessee Valley Community Church, Paris, Tennessee, there's going to be Abe Hamilton, Will and Mickey Addison, Carl Kirby, who is an expert on creation versus evolution. Also, I'll be there, Truth for New Generation. The theme is Truth Matters. Now, here's here's the subtitle, Truth Matters, Confronting the Issues that will shape our future. And also, very special breaking news, we've got another special presenter. His name is Reverend Bert Harper. And so April 21 through 23, and we'll have that website up for the Truth for a New Generation National Apologetics Worldview Conference, uh, and we'll we'll remind everybody of it many times, I'm sure. We will. I'm looking forward to it, being with that crew and sharing together. And uh, just make those plans. That is a great community. I've been up in that area two or three times and uh, just some great people up in Paris, Tennessee. And uh, so we're looking forward to that. So make those plans. Well, Alex, we're in chapter 19 and we come to verse 6 that we've talked about. And the, the chief priests, they're the ones that say crucify him. Then Pilate said, you take him and crucify him for I find no fault in him. Well, that gave a problem to this in verse 7, and the Jews answered, We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. Here it is again. You read it. You said it. They're speaking truth. They're, They're trying to use truth to get him to be crucified, and truth does do that, but they're speaking truth. Therefore, Pilate heard that saying he was more afraid. Uh, you know, by our law, he ought to be crucified. They're trying to pull out every, I would say, every power cord they have to get Pilate to do what they want him to do. Pilate is a political appointee, isn't he? It Well, he really is. He really is. And, you know, one of those questions skeptics sometimes ask is, did Jesus really claim to be uh, divine, deity, God incarnate. Yes, he did. And this was the accusation that uh, he ought to die because he made himself out to be the Son of God. You know, Bert, it's been said that Jesus went through seven unfair trials. And this is one of the things. Um, no, uh, for God to reveal himself as God 
There, there was no law about that, really. And the thing is, for somebody, first of all, pious Jews, they, they wouldn't even really vocalize or speak out loud the name of God. They were very careful, almost to a, an obsessive degree. But here's the thing, and there were certain parts of the Old Testament verses, like Exodus 3.14, I am that I am, that they wouldn't even say out loud. So when Jesus comes, and yes, he calls himself the I am, and he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he says, I and the Father are one. Um, first of all, that wasn't unlawful because it was truth. But you're right. Pilate was afraid here. Now, Bert, you know, the old question, how can two walk together unless they be in agreement? They said, we have a law. Well, Rome had a law. And Rome had due process. So you've got the conflicting between the religious and the secular. Bert, I would say in our own times, we have a a conflict between the spiritual and the earthly, don't we? It is. And I've lived quite a while, and it's more today than I've ever seen it. Now, it's always been that way to an extent. I grew up in the 60s. And you had a lot of wild things going on in the 60s. Now, Alex, it was a uh, a time of revolution and don't trust anybody over 30 years old. It was, you yeah. know, very severe in those days. But today, awful. yeah, but today it is so unreal, the division that is there and that they don't want anything that has to do with God, the Bible, to come in to their area, in the area of politics, in the area of education, in the area of entertainment. They they want to exclude. Uh, I just heard an interview and read an article about Christians uh, in out in California, Hollywood, and how they are really excluded from any part that they can get. There's people yeah. that don't want them to do anything, and they would love for them to be gone away and have no influence whatsoever. Yeah. And so that separation is real. Now, listen to this. And when, and, and then Pilate went in again, verse 9, into the praetorium and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Now, the next two verses to me are two of the most intriguing, I think, in the whole conversation. Then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Now, therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Now, Alex, now there's uh, something that is not said. You're, I, I love how you do this. You do it so good. It says, now what does it not say? Well, let, what, <laughs> it does, what it does not say has been given to you from Rome. Mm, Jesus wow. yeah. supersedes Rome to above to the heavens. And we need to know that today. Yes, we have a constitution and I love the United States constitution. It is awesome. It is unreal. The, the founding fathers and their wisdom, but we have a law that supersedes the constitution Mm -hmm. as, as followers of Christ. Now, most of the time they work together. And I thank God for that because Mm -hmm. again, that was the founding fathers and their biblical worldview that they brought into the the manufacturer of our Constitution and the three branches of government that James Madison saw in the Word of God. So we're living in a day when we're having to negotiate and and navigate some areas that's been difficult to do, even in our day. But here, Jesus sets, you have no power except that which has been given to you from above. Does that mm-hmm. show some accountability higher than Rome or higher than oh. Washington, D.C.? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, folks, um, I don't know if you saw the the Chronicles of Narnia movie that came out probably about 2005 based on the beloved works by C.S. Lewis. And uh, the story's been told so many times, but Aslan the lion represents Jesus Christ. And the kingdom of Aslan is called Narnia. And there are these four children that really represent the four soils, really. There's Peter and Edmund and Lucy and Susan. And um, and Edmund gets in trouble with this witch, and he's condemned to death. And so they go to this uh, place called the Stone Table where he's going to be executed for his sins against the kingdom of Aslan. And uh, she, she, the accuser, the witch, says of Edmund, says, well, he must die. You know the law. 
and uh, Aslan himself lays down on the stone table to be executed. And she says, hey, what are you doing? It's Edmund that sinned, Edmund that must die. You know the law. And Aslan says to her, says, well, there's a greater law from before this kingdom was created, and it's my law, and it's the greater law from before the foundation of the world that one who is righteous can die for one who's unrighteous. And, of course, the Chronicles of Narnia is a beautiful story that's introduced many children and adults to the basic concepts of the gospel. But you're right, Bert. I want to say this. There is a righteous God in heaven who is eternal, and his law uh, will never be overturned or overthrown. Because, you know, John 7.30, Jesus had said, my hour has not yet come. And here we get to John 19 and 11 and 12 and so forth, and Jesus says, look, all of this power, the power you think you have is only power permitted to you by God the Father. And in a way, because, okay, Pilate is nervous because there's this uprising. They said, we have a law. We want this man to die. And Jesus says, look, there were no power that you have except it was given to thee from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. Now, Pilate had his own sin, but really Jesus was in a way saying, look, um, I, I realize you're in an unwinnable situation. Verse 12, from henceforth, Pilate goes out and sought to release him. And the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. All right, there. by the way, this doesn't necessarily follow at all, but Jesus said that he is God incarnate. And what they're saying is, Pilate, understand this man who claims to be God that we want executed, um, he threatens the sovereignty of Caesar. So if you won't do it for us, at least do it out of loyalty to Caesar. I mean, that they're trying to paint him into a corner, aren't they? They are. It's called the trump card, bringing Caesar up, loyalty to him, and not only lose your position, you could even lose your life. And so they're going as, you know, as hard as they can to try to get their way. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out, sat him down at the judgment seat in the place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was in the preparation day of the Passover in about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold, your king. Here it is again, (laughs) these uh, people who are evil speaking truth, and it says, but they cried out. Now listen to this, away with him, crucify him, Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, now this is the chief priest, answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him to them to be crucified, so they took Jesus and led him away. Now, Alex, what in truth does this show, uh, let me say, the, the depth of lies that the chief priests, these religious leaders, will go to crucify Jesus. They hated being under Caesar's rule. Mm-hmm. They, they, this was not the place they wanted to be. But here, in order to have Jesus crucified, they would declare, we have no king but Caesar. And, mm. and so to what depth will men go to, to I, I would say, to try to lift themselves up, make themselves feel better, to have control? Uh, pride goes before that fall, and here they are demonstrating that. So these chief priests are the ringleaders getting the people to go along with them, we have no king but Caesar. Uh, they were putting the word on Pilate, and Pilate recognized that and said, take him away. You know, uh, I've been very blessed to have a lot of Jewish friends and a lot of Jewish friends that are, yes, believers in Jesus Christ. Bert, have you been seeing on the Internet, uh, there's some incredibly wonderful reports about the number of Jewish people, um, many of whom are in Israel, coming to faith in Messiah now. Yes, yes. And, it's beautiful. All right, let, let me just say this, because this, to me, this is about as sad a scripture when they cry out in verse 15, we have no king but Caesar. Yes. Bert, that is heartbreaking, and it reminds me of uh, back in Matthew 27, where they cried out, 
And, you know, every time I've ever read this, and we've talked through this a time or two, it really is hard for me to even read it. But in Matthew 27, 25, where it says, uh, you know, what about the shedding of this innocent blood, said Pilate, Matthew 27. And they cried out, his blood be on us and on our children. I mean, if there were ever any heartbreaking words ever uttered in the human language, these are it. Now, here's my point. Um, There is imputed righteousness. If you come to Jesus, the holiness of God is accredited to you. Till you come to Jesus, there's imputed unrighteousness. We have the guilt of Adam and Eve, plus we do sins ourselves. We're sinners. But you know what, Bert, have you ever met families? And I'm just going to say this, I think, about the Kennedy family. They've talked about there was sort of a a pall or a shadow over the Kennedy family for decades. Tragedy after tragedy has come on that family. And I've known families where some horrendously bad thing happened, and it seemed like the residue of it lingered over children. Now, there's deliverance in Jesus. But I think about this, and and I want to say this, you'll never meet somebody that loves the Jewish people as much as I do, and I love Israel, and anti-Semitism is wrong, and and every born-again believer should love and revere the Jewish people and pray for the Jewish people. But I want to say this, where they said, we have no king but Caesar, he's not our king, crucify him, his blood be upon us and our children. Bert, there's some kind of imputed shadow that has dogged the Jewish people for 2,000 years, hasn't it? It it is. Alex, I'm going to use a stronger word than a shadow. It's kind of like pronouncing a curse on your generations coming after you. And And, and Jesus said to Israel, said, your house is left desolate. It is. And what you see and what's happened to them, what would happen to them after that, I mean, they would be you know, decimated. They would be scattered all over the world. Yes, they came together in 1948. What a story that is. But again, when we look at the Holocaust and how many Jews died, I, Jan and I had the privilege of visiting in Poland and going to Auschwitz, Birkenau, and seeing hmm. where a million and a half Jews were slaughtered and their bodies were burned. It just grips you. And honestly, Alex, I did go back to that scripture. His blood be upon us and our children's children. Listen, you right now, wherever you are, trust Christ. Don't turn him away. Trust him. Ask him to be Lord. Alex and I are going to take phone calls, and that number is 888-589-8840. We'd love to hear from you today. AFA is no longer dependent on Facebook or YouTube to live stream our original programming. As of now, American Family Radio shows like Today's Issues, The Court, Airing the Addisons, and The Hamilton Corner are streaming live on the AFA streaming app. Independent live streaming is the next step as we come out from among them and separate ourselves unto the Lord. Search AFA streaming or visit streaming.afa.net to sign up. So Hannah, she's just one of the women who did struggle with infertility in the Bible. Hannah's Heart with Ann Cockrell and Kendra White. Hannah took her pain to God and God heard her and was with her. Hannah's Heart helps couples process infertility and miscarriage through a biblical lens. Join us Saturday afternoon at 5 Central on American Family Radio. Find the podcast at AFR.net. In this season of giving, you can be the answer to their prayer today. Hey, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International, and since Labor Day, we've been working toward a goal of putting God's Word into the hands and hearts of 16,000 Bibleist believers around the world. Here's a few that are praying for a Bible. Ahmed is a former Muslim beaten by extremists when he came to faith in Christ. He's praying for a Bible. Miriam is a widowed mother of three in Mozambique, Africa. Very sadly, her husband was killed by the Boko Haram regime, but she's praying for a Bible. Carla was a follower of 
pagan practices in Venezuela. He's praying for a Bible now as a Christ follower. And then Washi and her husband are livestock farmers in China. They want to raise their children to know and love Jesus. They're praying for a Bible. Listen, to date, you've put 10,000 Bibles into the hands of Bibleist believers. We'd love to see another 6,000 by the end of the year. So please, at $5 a Bible, would you make your most generous gift by calling 800-YES-WORD, 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 or give at sendbiblesnow.org. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Today, some professing Christians assert that critical theory, critical race theory, and intersectionality are helpful tools for the church. These people have an appearance of godliness, but their assertions deny the sufficiency of God's word to guide the church in living out the reconciliation Jesus secured for us on the cross. Make no mistake, as Paul told Timothy, the God-breathed scripture is sufficient for teaching, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Those who have an appearance of godliness, but deny the power of God's word for doctrine and practice, must be identified and avoided. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Jeremiah 29, 13. American Family Radio. You're listening to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. John 19.16 is where we'll pick up tomorrow, and tomorrow we'll conclude the uh, John chapter 19. Not the Gospel of John, but John 19. But right now what we're going to do is take calls, and we would love to hear from you. And if you have never called in before, call in today. The number is 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. If you have called in before, we also would welcome your Bible question. But Bert, um, you and I were talking a couple hours ago, and on Fireway Fridays we take a lot of questions. I've got in my email right now 10 questions I need to get busy answering because sometimes people email us word at afr.net, that's W-O-R-D, word at afr.net, and yes, we will see it. It will come to Bert and I, and we'll answer it, and uh, we just appreciate all the correspondence with all of you dear listeners, and we say this, but in a new year, I'm going to repeat it again, we love you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being with us on Exploring the Word, and thanks for calling in just now. Amen. Speaking of those questions that come in at Word or Facebook, starting this Friday, the first Friday, Fire Away Friday, we're going to take time each Friday to answer one or two of those questions that come in right at the beginning of the program while other people call in and get in line. So look forward to that. Those of you that sent questions in at Word or at Facebook, uh, we're going to get to it. We're going to start doing a little bit of it on Friday because we are having folks to really respond well to Word uh, and and Facebook. So let's go to the first question today, and it's David from Kansas. David, thank you for calling today. Yes. Do, you, do you have a Bible question for us? No, actually, I have more of a comment than a question. Okay, go um, ahead. There's, there's, uh, there's a, I think, it a, a false um well, a false theology, frankly. When when the Jews, uh, that the Jews have suffered um, thanks to their uh, ancestors' commentary while Jesus was on, our, on the cross, saying, let his, uh, let his blood be on our children and our children's children. Um, first of all, Jesus said, God, Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And um, I think um, God would have forgiven them at that particular time for having said that. And not only that, I have heard said, and I think it's probably the truth, that even if they had a minute as a curse, the blood of Christ is a blessing, not a curse. So if they had a minute as a curse, it would have still turned into a blessing. I think, frankly, that Satan's after the Jews because he can read the Bible. He knows 144,000 in the latter days are of the, of the tribes of, of, the, of uh, Jacob. Thank you very much for uh, letting me come mm. here. Bye. Okay, David. Thank you for your call. Alex, 
there's some truth to what he says, but at the same time, these uh, these founders set their uh, people that would follow them to 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 be under under great persecution. They set it up again, not that God would curse them, but because of their uh, rejection, because of their hard hardness, would be passed on down. And uh, yes, the Jews are a blessing and will continue to be a blessing. But their uh, their pronouncement of that was evil, you know, for them mm, to say such. Yeah. But but you know what? It's funny, Bert. Um, I was once at a college. This is probably about four years ago. And somebody asked me in the Q and A, "Can you give me any proof that we are in a supernatural world, a world with God?" And I, I quoted Revelation twelve verse five that says the dragon uh, stood ready to make war on the woman that brought forth the man-child. And, Bert, I think one of the keenest proofs that we are in a supernatural world is, yes, and I agree with the caller in this regard, the way that Satan has persecuted the Jewish people. And like even today, anti-Semitism, people that hate the Jews for no rational reason. I mean, it's, it, it, is, it is ironic, and I think it's proof of spiritual warfare that um, the the people that are that hate the Jewish people and hate the nation of Israel, uh, whether they be Muslims in the East or even liberal Westerners that hate Jews, there's no explanation. There's no rational reason, and I, I do think it's a spiritual dynamic, isn't it? I agree with you, and it is so true. So, David, thank you for that observation. Let's go to Mississippi. James, welcome to Exploring the Word. Great, thank you. I'm going to ask my question and I'll hang up. Um, is there any indication in history or anywhere else that uh, Pilate may have got saved after that whole, um, after the incident with uh, Christ being uh, crucified? I, Alex, I have not heard that at all. Uh, not that I know of. What about you? You read any evidence of it? No. Um, you know, there's a historical legend that his wife did or that his wife was a believer, but I don't know. Um, here's the thing about Pilate. I mean, I don't know. I, I think, you know, he was he was between a rock and a hard place. He was on the horns of a dilemma. And if he really had been a man of courage and faith in Messiah, I think he could have stepped up and wielded authority to stop this thing. But, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think anything yay or nay is just... Pure speculation. Would you agree, Bert? I agree. Now, he did get some courage when they came and said, don't say he's King Jesus. Say he said yeah. it was, and he said, what I've written, I've written. Uh, sometimes courage comes later than it should. Ask God to give us courage when the time is right. And so thank you so much for that. If we that. get to heaven and Pilate is there, I think we'll all be thrilled. <laughs> we will. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's go to KJ in Tennessee. Welcome, KJ. Good afternoon, fellas. Uh, I just want to say I appreciate you all uh, so much for um, for what you do each and every day. Uh, you're a, a great encouragement to us all. And specifically, thank you for bringing up about the Jewish people. Um, when you said that, I'm reminded of Romans 11, chapter 11, and um, where it talks about where Paul, the apostle, is talking about I speak to you Gentiles in as much as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. Uh, yeah. And he says, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. Talking about the Jewish people. And he, yeah. and, um, he, uh, he talks in there also about us, uh, that we are part of the olive tree, that, that those of us who are believers have been grafted into that olive tree and, uh, and I, I think we need to be reminded of that and that we have a, an obligation to, to uh, reach out to the Jewish people and to um, look after their needs um, because we can be an encouragement to them that they should come to Christ and get to know our Lord and Savior also. Wow. And he he yeah. goes in there also and he says, uh, but he says, do not boast against the branches, which in my and now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I interpret the branches to mean the Jewish people. 
but he says, but if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. And I <laughs> Amen. think that is being the Lord Jesus Christ. KJ, amen, brother. Listen, my Savior was a Jew. And mm. I, listen, that's the highest, the highest person to hold in esteem to serve is Jesus Christ. Kate, he's right on, isn't he, Alex? Amen. Amen. That's why we always say this. You know, true Christians love the Jewish people. He really does. Thank you, brother, and I uh, hope you're having a great new year. Let's go to Mississippi and talk to John. John, thank you for calling today. Yeah, yeah go right ahead. Okay. Yes, uh, I am a saved Baptist. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. attend the Baptist Church. My question to you I don't know if it's a fair one or not, but the preachers uh, listen to the uh, other preachers uh, that might inspire them. Uh, I'm a musician. Musicians do that. Listen mm-hmm. for one or two that, that help. Do preachers uh, listen to other preachers in that respect? Alex, you answer we that do. first. <laughs> and hey, I, I want to throw too. a name out. <laughs> yeah. uh, we do, we do. And Bird and I both, we we have a lot of fellowship talking about everything under the sun. But one of the things Bird and I have loved to talk about are the preachers that that have touched our own lives. Uh, one of whom is in heaven, a guy named Vance Havner, H A V N E R. But, I, you know, let me just give you a for instance. There's a young man in North Carolina. I say young man. He's probably 35, 37. His name is Tyler Galden, and he's got a, a radio show called Unspeakable Joy. And I had him on my weekend AFR show. This guy preaches, I mean, it's almost like Adrian Rogers, Billy Graham, and Billy Sunday put in a can I mean, so yes, and it thrills my heart not only to learn from the greats, and some of whom are well-known, and some of whom you've never heard of. Bert, I had the privilege last, um, probably spring, of I did the funeral for the man that discipled me when I first got saved, Pastor Mark Sink. And Mark, he, he never made any headlines, he wasn't famous, but he was as good a preacher as you would ever hear, and a huge part of my DNA is sitting under the teaching of Mark Sink. And Bert, um, I think you and I both have keenly tried to give homage and love to those men that have shaped our own lives, haven't we? It is not just hearing them, but reading them. Vance Havner is, we read him, we heard him, I got to hear him. Uh, I got to wow. make my didn't. day. Yes, I got to hear R.G. Lee Pete preach payday someday. Uh, oh, man. Yes, I did. Two of the greatest sermons I've ever heard in my life. But we get to read Charles Haddon Spurgeon. What a different. That, that was the prince of preachers. And so, yes, the answer to that is we do that. But a lot of those people, I just want to tell you, uh, you said it, Alex, some of those that we don't know about, they influenced my life. Lowell Johnson was my pastor. And when I surrendered to preach and he brought me under his wings, uh, just helped me to learn to outline Scripture, encouraged me. He's gone on to be of the Lord, but what a difference he made in my life, as many others did as well. So thanks mm-hmm. for that. I, I appreciate that call. And uh, and uh, let me encourage y'all, go on, go online, listen to some of the, these people that we mentioned, like Adrian Rogers. First of all, anything. <laughs> I, it, it doesn't matter. Pick anything. Any Adrian Rogers sermon you find, and I guarantee it will charge your batteries. Uh, listen, oh me, I, I I wanted to read him because when I heard him, I tried to sound like him, and nobody, uh, this boy, Bert, could not sound like Adrian Rogers, but what a preacher he was, and again, what a man. Today, David Jeremiah, what a preacher. That David uh, Jeremiah, Erwin Lutzer. Erwin Lutzer. There, there, there's some great preachers. We, we better. We, we <laughs> I know we're naming we, some, but we're not naming all. There's more than we, we have that. our heroes, don't we? We Bert? really do. Let's go to Oklahoma and talk to Dustin. Welcome, Dustin. Yeah. Go right ahead, Hello. man. Turn yeah, your radio. So be sure and turn your radio off, Dustin. We, I hear myself in the background. Yeah, he was on speakerphone. I'm out of the car. Oh, okay, but, uh, go ahead, so man. It's been recently revealed to me that Christmas is not Jesus' birthday. And Galatians tells us, you know, 
any do- not to be preaching false doctrine. So I'm just wondering why church preaches Christmas, Jesus' birthday, Jesus is the reason, but doesn't even talk about any of the biblical Jew- you know, festivals. It just sounds like, I just feel like I've been lied to a lot of years. Oh, Dustin, listen, we celebrate. There's a difference at being his birthday and celebrating his birthday. Don't. Uh, I, I'm trying to bring some joy to you, man. I understand what you're saying, but we celebrate his birthday on this day. On a day, uh, have you, uh, I, I love to say this, and I'll turn it over to you, Alex. I love redemption. It's like yeah. Halloween. Everybody talks about Halloween, but Halloween has been redeemed. All Saints Day celebrating what God has done. Christmas Day, yes, a Roman thing going into it. But g- celebrating Jesus' birthday on that day, overcoming those things, I-, I love the thoughts of redemption, not only of people, but of days. You catch my meaning on mm-hmm. that? Absolutely. Well, brother, God bless you, and um, please don't feel like you've been lied to because uh, you haven't been. Jesus was born, yay. Uh, but about those Jewish feasts and festivals, First uh, Corinthians ten six through eleven says about all of those Old Testament things. It says these things were examples to show us Jesus who would come, and so I think it's wonderful to know about the Jewish feasts and festivals. Um, but you know, in Matthew twenty seven, uh, Matthew twenty seven fifty one through fifty four, when Christ was on the cross and the the temple and the curtain was ripped in two, all of those ceremonies and rituals, as interesting as they may be, they ceased to have any effect for the covering of sin because Jesus paid it all on the cross. The one more thing I would say, please listen if you would go on AFR.net, December 13, 2022, I had on the Hamilton Corner, uh, Bill Federer, great historian. Bill makes a case, He he, and let me tell you, he's a smart guy. Bill Federer makes a case. He truly does believe Jesus was born on December 25th. He makes a pretty ironclad case for that. But whether Jesus was born in September or the spring, the fact is he was born. And praise God for that because therein, his life, death, resurrection, we have salvation through faith in him. And Dustin, about those festivals, when you study Jesus... Jesus is the one that brings meaning to those festivals, to those holy days. Jesus is the one. So the whole idea is make much of Jesus in every area of life. And when you do that, I want to just tell you, the gospel will be presented and shared, and men and women will be drawn unto the Lord Jesus. Jerry from Mississippi, sorry we didn't get to your call. We'd have loved to. Call us back. We'll try to answer your question. If you can get there to us, we'd appreciate it so much. Alex, it's been good being with you today. I'm glad you made it back to North Carolina, and we enjoyed you today, and we appreciate you listening to Exploring the Word. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.